0: This begins our class on the Book of Romans, which we will have as our main presenter, Uh, I shouldn't say main presenter, presenter (laughs) slash presider slash teacher, uh, Reed Davis, a member here at St. Anne's. Uh, Before we start, uh, I'd like for us to uh, say a word of prayer and then we will begin this class Read, if I'm understanding correctly, is going to be a class, an introductory class to the Book of Romans, kind of lay the groundwork for us? That's the plan. Are we going to hit chapter one or just intro today?
1: Um, Mostly intro. Uh, If it goes really fast, we might do a fair amount of chapter one, but I'll probably talk about one a little bit in any case.
0: Okay. Especially the first few verses kind of gives a good layout there, so... Mm -hmm. All right, let's start with uh, prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, O Christ our God, open our hearts and minds to your holy word. Uh, allow us to see your will for us. Allow us to hear your servant and friend, Paul, as he wrote to your followers in Rome. So allow us to understand and find you and what you will for us to understand. And not only understand, but to do and to pray and to grow in love and discernment and wisdom to so that we may grow into the full stature of Jesus Christ. For it is to you that we pray, and to your unoriginate Father and your all Holy Spirit, now and ever and into ages of ages. Amen. Amen. This is a little bit too much Ephesians and Colossians language there, but <laughs> uh, I'm going to mute myself, Reed. And okay. you, it is, if you need... Share screen as you need, uh, et cetera. Okay, that sounds good. Thank you.
1: Um, well, let me explain a little of my background with this book, first of all. Um, Twelve and a half years ago, when I was still at an evangelical church, um, I had the opportunity pretty regularly, uh, year by year, to be uh, doing Bible studies as an adult Sunday school and um a long story that i won't start to get into i had um at some point become interested in the church fathers and in particular i had heard that um john chrysostom was known as like history's greatest preacher and bible expositor and so i thought hey I'm going to do one of my Sunday school classes. I'm going to bring my my folks the best stuff I can get them. We're going to look at John Chrysostom's homilies on Romans, and we're going to study Romans using his homilies for a background. And um, I had intended to do this in a semester. It turned into a year. And... Uh,
0: <laughs> that sounds familiar. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: but there was just too much good stuff to, to rush through it. And um, I came away from that with, uh, uh, I was often just astonished at the depth of uh, Chrysostom's understanding of the scripture and um, just, you know, how much sense he made of this book because, you know, as an evangelical, I knew Romans was an important book. And so I'd given a lot of attention to it in the way that I think a lot of evangelicals do. I mean, and I, I read it over and over, not that I had actually consulted reference works like a reasonable scholar might've done. Um, but you know, i had been much acquainted with it and I had a very strong sense of, the apostle Paul is following an argument at great length here It's important material and I cannot catch the thread of it. Um, And, you know, as I read John Chrysostom, it's like, oh, but he does. (laughs) He understands what this book is about and how it fits together. And, um, you know, at, at the time I said the experience of studying John Chrysostom's homilies on Romans, it was breathtaking at times just the insights that he had into it and what it all meant. And um, to make a long story short, this ultimately uh, studying in particular Romans but also some other books in the same manner using his homilies played a very large role in my ultimately becoming Orthodox. Um, Part of this was because I came from a background in which we believed in Sola Scriptura, and it's like, this gentleman understands scripture a lot better than us who claim to be Sola Scriptura. So um, sometimes I sort of jokingly, but only half jokingly say, uh, I became Orthodox because I believed in Sola Scriptura, because... John Chrysostom understood the Scripture so much better than I did, and the people I listened to in North in evangelical circles. So, in any case, um, that's this. This is why, ultimately, when I was received into the church, I took the name of John for my saint name. Um, and so, this is all very dear to me. <laughs> and so, uh, I thought it was very kind of Father Daniel to invite me to to do this study, and. Largely, I'm hoping to do the same sort of thing now that I did then to work, you know, to help us work our way through Romans um, using the homilies of St. John Chrysostom. Um, <clears throat> and um, the, the source I'm using for that, I'm working from, you all undoubtedly know this 38-volume set of the Church Fathers, and it's the 11th volume of the first series of the uh, Nicene and Post-Nicene Fathers. Father Daniel
0: is pointing at something. <laughs> I'm pointing at the books.
1: Oh, oh, okay, right there, yes. Oh, I see. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Those aren't my copies, they're the church copies, but I have my copies in my office. Well, they're also and- available online.
1: Yeah, about thirteen years ago I downloaded the whole set from the Christian Classics Ethereal Library site and they are still available there, but I downloaded them while they were still free. <laughs> and I think they may be free again, but for a while they were
0: Yeah, you can find them on um, oh I'll just look I'll 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 say so I'll say something here in a minute when I find it. There's a, a website, newadvent.org. Oh, you okay. can find all uh, under their newadvent.org slash fathers, and all of those translations available. Augustine, Athanasius, Clement of Rome, Cyril of Jerusalem, Ephraim, Gregory. I mean, so if you go there, this is where, when I don't want to open a book and I want to use the uh, internet to, fu- you know, control F to find something that I'm looking for. <laughs> this is where I go.
2: Another uh, resource I use, it's an app called Pieta. I think it's a Catholic app, but they have a bunch of, uh, like, books. And that includes, like, a, a lot of the Nicene and uh, Auntie Nicene Fathers. Um, so, like, uh, it's been uh, a paid app that you have to pay for, but it's never been more than, like, 3 or $4, and they kind of go back and forth free or you know, a few dollars, but it's a really good reference, too. Well,
1: thank
0: you. Reading fathers while you wait for uh, people to do other things, and you just sit there in the <laughs> store? Or...
1: So um, in any case, that's that's mostly what I'm trying to draw on um, as I kind of lead us through this. Um, the other source that I'm uh, planning to use some tonight and probably will ongoing is I've listened to a lot of Dr. Jeannie constantinou's Search the Scriptures podcasts, both versions of it, the live version and the uh, recorded version, and, um, you know, ha- have picked up some very helpful knowledge there that I'm sure if you, you know, ever go to a Bible college or a seminary, it's all just sort of basic stuff. But for me, a lot of it was new. So uh, I'll talk some from that as well. Um, that being said, I—you know Romans is kind of an important book for folks with uh, Protestant and evangelical backgrounds, which I think both of you have some share in. I was wondering if you all have had interesting experiences with Romans that you're bringing into this that would be worth mentioning.
0: When I was in high school. I sat with the book of Romans, Romans 5. And I read it over and over and over again. Because I did not, We I was taught against original sin. Which some of that, I think, was just not actually understanding what that, I mean, when you say original sin, everybody has little different ways of, articulating that but it took me i i would just read it over and over and over again and i just read through romans really slowly and some of my basic takeaways at the point at that point were i don't think that what i was taught about Rome, paul and romans makes any sense and um trying to figure out like you said that thread of argument i i couldn't for the life of me find it. But also, I think I mentioned in announcing this class at the end of, you know, a vespers or something just saying, the ret trying to get through the rhetorical aspects of Romans is harder than many of the other epistles. Because he like, it's almost like he's like, um, throwing his voice to, you know, once we get to like Romans seven, all the you know, what is who who is he talking about what is he talking about maybe like first corinthians where he talks about going up to the third heaven. i knew a man (laughs) it's like are you talking about yourself i know that's a humble thing to do but i wish you would just say i i think everybody has just said said, yeah paul's talking about himself but yeah that's my my experience with Rome because every like you said romans is the theological book right it's the protestant book it's the roman way i guess for i didn't grow up like that but evangelicals right you you memorize these certain verses to like convert somebody
1: the roman road
0: yeah road sorry yes and it's i think what usually happened is people get stuck in the first seven chapters maybe they get to the eighth chapter because it has some verses that makes them feel good at the end of romans eight which is fair because it's very nice at the end of Romans eight. Then they have no idea unless they're reformed and they want to talk about predestination and <laughs> some of the latter chapters. But you have to have the latter chapters for the beginning chapters. But now I'm getting ahead of myself. So, <laughs>
1: <laughs> how about you, Eric? It makes sense because
0: it, it, because people the way they approach it. So obviously, when you start at the beginning, you you're trying to figure out what's going on and. Mm-hmm. That's where so much, t- so much time gets spent in the first five or six chapters.
2: So I was, And that, it doesn't go anywhere else. <laughs> I was raised Presbyterian. So I think we focus more on the latter chapters than the uh, earlier oh, ones. On Jacob and Esau, huh? Yeah. Predestination. Uh, but, you know, I remember just trying to read it myself and uh, you know uh, both you and read Uh, and father have said, you know, just trying to find the thread of argument and it's just being really obscured. And that's kind of, you know, that's been my experience up until now. So uh, hopefully that will change.
0: So- um, We trust Reed as our guide.
1: (laughs) You can trust me insofar as I'm following someone who knows what he's talking about.
0: I, that so, sounds very biblical to me. <laughs> um,
1: so a, a couple of things. First of all, uh, I'm sort of taking my own notes from bottom to top. Um, the first question is, uh, where did the Roman church come from? Because Paul, of course, has not been there at the time he's writing this. And I believe it was uh, Dr. Jeannie Constantinou who said, um, some people believe that we see the beginnings of the roman church on the day of pentecost in acts two ten, where it talks about among those who were listening to the apostle peter when the holy spirit came upon the disciples were visitors from rome and so i, I take it that the thought is then that some of these people believed received some basic instruction and then went back to rome and so that's the church there had begun um i don't know there's more to be said about that but that's as much as i know
0: it's important to note right that because you get from the very beginning that paul didn't start rome it it was a church that because we're so we just finished Acts, so we're so used to paul being in the mix and now we have paul who's kind of like having to say hi this (laughs) is who i am
1: (laughs) um And then just generally, what I got out of doing this study 12 years ago is sort of what is Romans about? And it's maybe hard to say it very concisely, but essentially the the way I, I ended up phrasing it was the Apostle Paul was writing a pastoral letter to help the Jews and Gentiles of the Roman church understand how to relate to each other. Um, and this was this was quite a shock coming from an evangelical background where we always sort of took Romans as, this is Paul laying out the doctrines of the church as though this was sort of a course in systematic theology giving all the most important things, even though we only use three verses from it. Um, And to realize that, no, this was not a theological treatise. This was a thoroughly pastoral letter. His concern is for the welfare of the Roman church and for the salvation of the people there. And the real problem that he's dealing with is that you've got Jews in the church and Gentiles in the church. And they're all trying to figure out how they're supposed to relate to each other and to the gospel and kind of. How does that all fit out? And of course, we saw that in the Acts study in the Council of Jerusalem. This was the first great controversy in the church. And, um, you know, it's really front and center of Romans. Um, And so, you know, in particular, when the apostle Paul writes about law in Romans, he's not talking about every commandment of God every moral premise, every good work, he is talking about the law of Moses very specifically. And, you know, probably as interpreted by the rabbis and sort of the way it was practiced by the Jews of the day. Um, And so if he speaks uh, against the need of the Gentiles needing to practice the law, he's not declaring them free from all obligation to obey God's commands. He's talking about the law, of Moses, as it was being looked at. Um, and also, you know, I, I became aware, you know, St. John Chrysostom, of course, was a writer and a truly outstanding one. Um, and as he reads the Apostle Paul, he reads him writing rhetorically. That is, he doesn't simply take this as, A doctrinal treatise he takes every word as being calculated by the apostle to produce a certain effect in the hearers that will benefit them for their salvation and that makes the book read entirely differently (laughs) not that there is not theology in it to be gotten and learned from but he's not writing a theological treatise He's writing a pastoral letter to save these people. And um, and just to see how with every sentence, every phrase, John Chrysostom looks at it and says, now the reason he's saying this and not that frequently, he'll say, well, why didn't he say it this way? Well, because he wanted to emphasize this. And so it, it really changed the whole book for me.
0: do you mind if i underline that because i think this it really bears in mind to remember that we're reading other people's mail and reading the epistles and so it operates very differently and you're referencing the rhetorical what you know if i'm writing a systematic theology there's all sorts of places I can start and where I start and what I think is important, what I'm gonna highlight in some of the like infrastructure, like the way I build the house is really gonna affect what I can and can't do or what I what it can or can't house or, and so a lot of the times I feel like Romans was used as this go-to guide for theology when, and so things just get, take completely taken out of context Mm -hmm. um and used in ways that created a different theology than what Paul actually had and you're right to emphasize that the rhetorical element for the transformation of what the hearer uh, or reader is experiencing and Chrysostom existing in that world understands very well what Paul is trying to do that's why I love that icon and I put it in the email uh, out to the parish that has, um, Paul whispering to Chrysostom how to interpret his own, his own letters in an icon. What's <laughs> mm-hmm. a lovely icon.
1: Okay. So, and I know, I mean, uh, talking about the Romans road in that way, at some point I became greatly disturbed as an evangelical that, you know, handpicking a collection, a small collection of verses out of chapters of Romans to prove the point of how to be saved. Eventually I thought this is just doing tremendous violence to the text. You don't read anything this way. <laughs> so anyway, um, trying to get then a little bit into um The the book itself, uh, introducing the book itself, before his first homily on Romans and beginning in Romans 1, St. John Chrysostom has a short homily he calls the argument of the book in which uh, mostly what he's trying to do is place it historically relative to Paul's other epistles. And uh, I thought it would be valuable to go through that a little bit just to see how he thinks about this and also to what, see what why is
0: what is it called read it's called the argument is this in the anti-nicean post nicene fathers yes is it homily one or is it even before that it's
1: homily zero
0: <laughs> that is it's listed it's right before available on hold on go ahead I'll, I'll i will find it over here
1: Okay. yeah, I mean, it's if you go to where the uh, homilies on the Romans start, it's sort of the first thing before homily one. But I'm going to go ahead and share my screen.
0: Yeah, I see it now.
1: Okay, let's see. These are uh, notes I was typing up to myself. I was originally just going to put some of these things on uh, sort of my online whiteboard. And then I realized, I don't think that will show up in the, um, in the, oh, well, maybe it will actually, hang on. Let me go to a different page. Here we go. Now I have to share that page, wait. Okay, can you all see more or less a big white screen at this point? Yes. Oh, wait, no, 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 but that's not what I want. Sorry, it's okay. give me a minute here. There we go. Okay, there's what I was looking for. Okay, so um, he begins and he argues, first of all, that uh, the Corinthians come before Romans. So maybe I'll put Romans here in the middle. And his uh, argument for this is that in Roman, uh, sorry, in 1 Corinthians 16, 3 and 4, the apostle writes, and when I come, whomever you approve by your letters, I will send to bear your gift to Jerusalem. This is talking about the, the churches of um, Achaia, Macedonia, giving to the uh, believers in, uh, in Jerusalem. It says, mm-hmm. I, um, so uh, whomever you approve by your letters, I will send to bear your gift to Jerusalem. But if it is fitting that I go also, they will go with me. But in Romans 15, the apostle writes, but now I am going to Jerusalem to minister to the saints for it pleased those from Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor among the saints. And so what John Chrysostom argues here is, well, at the time of Corinthians, this was in doubt, but at the time Romans was written, it had been decided Paul was making this trip. Um, And then he argues that Corinthians comes uh, after Thessalonians. Thessalonians is even earlier. Um, And let me just mention the verses. He he quotes uh, first Thessalonians four, nine and 10 and second Corinthians nine, one through four uh, talking about the, the giving, the generosity of the Macedonians, which is where Thessa, Thessalonica was, and the, uh, the readiness of the Macedonians, or the Achaeans to give, that's Corinth. Um, and um, essentially, he argues through that that it appears that the Thessalonian letter was written even earlier than the Corinthian. Um, On the other hand, he believes that Romans was written before Philippians um, because in uh, Romans 1 11, he says, I long to see you that I may impart some spiritual gift so that you may be established, making it clear that he has not seen these people. He's not been to Rome, but in Philippians, He writes at the end, verse uh, Philippians 4.22, all the saints greet you, but especially those who are of Caesar's household, which seems to imply he's there in Rome talking to some of the believers from Caesar's household. And he also puts more or less on the same level the book of Hebrews, because near the end of Hebrews, the author writes, greet all those who rule over you and all the saints, those from Italy greet you. Now, here I should explain, uh, probably you all know, that that the view is evidently extremely well-established among current scholars that the Apostle Paul was not the actual author of the book of Hebrews. Um, Nevertheless, St. John Chrysostom believed thoroughly and deeply that Paul was the author of it, and so he always speaks and writes uh, accordingly
0: yeah that was a debated topic even in the and during the fathers and I don't I, remember all the details but I know it's been debate it's been a long debate and
1: I know Jeannie Constantino talks about that some and says well the scholars are generally agreed however the scholars are increasingly beginning to understand that the writing of letters in the ancient world was rather a group project um, the person who was actually sending the letter was not the one physically writing it. You had the, the, the person who would essentially serve as the secretary. And then it just it, it, it could be a very complicated arrangement and might still legitimately be called a letter of Paul. So in any case, um, I just mentioned that for what it's worth. Um he believes that the, um, where are we, it comes uh, before the epistles to Timothy, and he he doesn't distinguish between 1st and 2nd Corinthians or 1st and 2nd Timothy. I don't know if the, there's a historical reason for that, but he simply says the letter to Timothy, the letters to the, to the Corinthians. Um and uh, because there in Timothy, of course, he talks about, um, you know, I'm being poured out for you. Uh, you know, I fought the good fight. I have um, we quote Second Timothy 4, 6, saying I'm being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure is at hand. Um, and I think it's well understood that he was writing near the end of his life from a Roman prison. Um, somewhat before that, we have Philemon. Oops. Um, where Paul refers to himself as being aged and a prisoner of Jesus Christ, uh, presumably there also in Rome. But he takes it that in between Philemon and, and Timothy comes Colossians. Because... In Colossians 4, 7 through 9, he talks about Tychicus, a beloved brother, faithful minister and fellow servant of the Lord, will tell you all the news about me. I'm sending him for this very purpose that he may know your circumstances and comfort your hearts with, and here's the key name, Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother who is one of you. And Onesimus, of course, was the one who had been the slave of Philemon. And it appears that now everything that Paul was asking for in Philemon has come to pass. And now Onesimus is, once again, serving in the gospel freely. Um, and the uh, and Saint John Chrysostom also mentions that in the same letter, uh, the Apostle Paul speaks of Archippus as one of, who appears also in Philemon um, and one of the recipients of that letter, which shows that this is not just another man named Onesimus, but the same one. And so he really tries to work this through very carefully from the text. Any questions or thoughts about any of that?
0: What do you think? Why does he think this is important?
1: Okay, why he thinks this is important, he gives us an example. Um, He says that in Romans, you see the Apostle Paul writing, this is 14 verses 1 and 2, receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. For one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. But on the other hand, in Colossians 2, 20 through 23, he says, therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why as though living in the world, do you subject yourself to regulations? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concern things which perish with the using according to the commandments and doctrines of men. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom and self-imposed religion, false humility and neglect of the body but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh and so what chrysostom says here is that he sees the apostle paul talking about the same topic in both places but in romans he's speaking quite gently and in a very conciliatory and accommodating fashion about it whereas in colossians he's kind of laying it down and saying don't put up with this and he says As far as he can see, the only difference between these two letters is when they were written in regard to this topic. And so he takes it then that at the time he was writing Romans, this was still an idea that was being promulgated in the churches. It was still new. You needed to deal gently with the people as they learned it. But by the time he was writing Colossians, this was well established and just shouldn't put up with this anymore. So. He uses the ordering of the books in part as, as an aid to interpretation. Yes. Other thoughts or comments? Insights? Corrections?
0: You know, in modern academics, this trying to lay out the timeline of Paul and then somehow to reconcile it excuse me the book of acts has a lot of ink has been spilled um even um you have nt wright the famous anglican bishop who put out a massive tome on paul and his theology a few years ago and then you have uh, another douglas campbell who's at duke who has a massive book where a lot of his argument hinges on chronology of paul's life and when he's writing books because it really affects what he's doing if you're actually trying to pay attention to and believe that possibly paul's mind and what he's doing like he has his first principles like kind of like his theology but that doesn't mean that it's not Metaphors are developing or changing a little bit, or emphases or situations require different responses. Hmm. So it's just it's important. Like as much as criticism found found it important, it's still one of the major things in Paulian studies to fi- mm-hmm. trying to figure out what the heck Paul is talking about. It means we got to figure out the order in which he wrote things. Mm-hmm. And it also shows to belie somebody's theology. Where some of them will throw out things you know like paul didn't write timothy or titus or some of these others because they don't they don't like the theology in it (laughs) right (laughs) or they think it's later and it's too catholic Mm -hmm.
1: yes genie constantine who talks about this it's like well there are the the scholars who will say well this topic hadn't been developed yet, so Paul couldn't have been writing about it. And
0: she says, well, you know. <laughs> yes, everything that I believe is in every letter I send to every single person.
1: <laughs> right. <laughs> so in any case, um, I thought it was interesting in the footnotes there in the, uh, the 38 volumes of Philip Shaw, I thought it was interesting that the footnotes there say that the, the scholar doing the translation says that in fact, Remarkably, that's his word, uh, St. John Chrysostom reaches the same results as modern scholars do. Now, this is late 1800s, right? But still modern scholars do, except in regard to the authorship of Hebrews. So, in any case, um, let me... um, Let me read just a few lines from Chrysostom where he says more beautifully what I was just trying to summarize um, about Colossians and Romans addressing the same subject. He says, I find no other reason for this difference than the time of the transaction. For at the first it was needful to be condescending, but afterwards it became no more so. And in many other places one may find him doing this. Thus both the physician and the teacher are used to do. For neither does the physician treat alike his patients in the first stage of their disorder, And when they have come to the point of having health, thenceforth, nor the teacher, those children who are beginning to learn, and those who want more advanced subjects of instruction. And in in my mind, this is classic Chrysostom, where he says, look, you know how teachers work. (laughs) That's what the apostle's doing. (laughs) Read him that way. So.
0: I, I read, I believe I've shared with you, and I don't Wendy Mayer's work out of Australia. Uh, her academia.edu has incredible she's done a lot of work on Chrysostom and relating Chrysostom to the philosophers of his time period. Specifically, you would think it would be like, you know, Aristotle, Plato or something like that, but actually Galen, the uh, the doctor. Huh. And that Chrysostom is drawing upon that because and that day to become a philosopher didn't mean that you got a phd in like german philosophy it meant you were a part of a school of life that explained Mm. how the way things are and what we need to do in order to achieve happiness whatever that that definition is so chrysostom for him of course is salvation in jesus christ and so he reads paul as a fellow philosopher because that's what a rhetorician, technically, at the end of the day, really is, too. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we've we lost so much of the original context of this stuff socially that it, again, we're back to that that letter writing and the difference in systematic theology. But Christosom is very helpful to remember the rhetor- how important the attending to the rhetoric of Paul is.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes, and I I think I'm coming to see that that even goes a lot deeper than I had realized in that, and again, this was something Jeannie Constantino talked about, sort of anyone who was anyone in Greco-Roman society had some basic understanding of rhetoric. Um, And part of what that meant was you had a set collection of structures for talking on subjects. And so if suddenly you were spontaneously called to talk on something, you pulled out of your mental library, the correct sort of structure and started organizing your talk along those lines on the spot. And everyone would understand that's what you were doing. And so, you know, that's sort of entirely lost on me most of the time, but I'm at least beginning to become aware, Oh, it exists. And, um, that sort of makes a nice transition to the next topic here, which is also something I picked up from Jeannie Constantinou. This was from her, see if I can find it now. This was from her podcast on search the scriptures live. It was on first Thessalonians from January 27 of 2020. So almost exactly a year ago on ancient faith radio. And it's a description of, what she says is commonly called the Hellenic or probably Hellenistic. I probably mistyped that Hellenistic letter format. It's like she said, just like we're all taught in school. Here's how you write a letter, a business letter, a personal letter, whatever. Well, in, you in, know, in Greco-Roman society, there was a way you wrote a letter. And this was a revelation to me, very fundamental stuff to know, but it was a revelation to me. And so I thought I should go ahead and mention it in case it's new to anyone else. So the first thing you had was a salutation. That doesn't surprise us. And it had two parts. First of all, you identified the sender. And immediately there, you understand why you, every one of Paul's letters starts with the name Paul, because that's how you wrote a letter. And then, not surprisingly, the next part was the recipient. Is this all showing up so that you can read it, by the way?
0: Yes. Yes.
1: Okay. And so you see this in all of his letters, right? He begins by saying who he is, maybe who else is with him. And then he says whom he's sending it to. And then next, there is a greeting, which I want to say more about, but let me just pass on for now. Third, there is a statement of thanksgiving or a prayer. And evidently in some classical uh, literature, this would be a statement of thanksgiving to the gods, but it might be thanks to the people, might be a prayer for them, whatever it might be. But this was used by, you know, by the pagan societies already. then um, the body of the letter, the thing that the, the author was actually writing about. The fifth part was a section of encouragement. Or inspiration. And there's evidently a technical term for this, paranesis.
0: Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, but, you know, as I started to look at other that's things about Romans, <laughs> <laughs> they talk about paranetical writing. It's like, OK, yeah, so yeah. maybe it's helpful to understand it so you can see what folks are talking about. And then finally, you have a conclusion. uh, Which once again has two parts, first of all greetings. And then a final blessing. And this was more or less how you wrote a letter. um, In the ancient world. And it's very easy to see, oh yes, most of Paul's letters pretty much follow this. Um, So, you know, as an evangelical, I always took it that this was something thoroughly unique to Paul. This was simply how he decided to write things rather than, oh, he was part of a culture that wrote letters and this is how you did it. So this was to me a, a lovely insight, even if it's really basic.
0: Well, you know, one of the things I think is helpful with trying for folks trying to tackle reading this, is exactly what we're getting to. How do I make heads or tails of this? Um, and being able to actually see the form first, you got you just got to read it. I mean, there's that, and I find today today, folks struggle with that, so there's that, but beyond just actually getting through and slogging through and reading it. Then you have to actually read it again, <laughs> and then you have to start looking for shifts. And then you like you have and once you find the structure and being able for like for example, you can see this applies to almost every Pauline letter, the salutation, who he's writing to, the greeting, the prayer, even the language I incorporated into the prayer at the very beginning of this, growing into the full stature of like that prayer at the beginning of like Colossians and Ephesians, that language that's. The, the prayer that he's doing. Um, then he gets to what he wants to deal with. Then he encourages at the end. And then he greets people. And then he says, Maybe, you know, that's it. So <laughs> that helps. Now, that doesn't help when we're in the middle of Romans 5 and 6, but it does help for the, <laughs> you know, the, the letter.
1: Yeah. And um, again, St. John Chrysostom doesn't comment specifically on the letter format, but I see him commenting on, um, and this is maybe in that part call he calls the argument again, I don't remember off the top of my head. Um, but he uses this also as a guide to interpretation. So for instance, uh, he says there in Romans 15, 14 through 15, he says to the Romans, now I myself am, am confident, so, so Paul says, Now, I myself am confident concerning you, my brethren, that you are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. Nevertheless, brothers, I have written more boldly to you on some points as reminding you because of the grace given to me by God. So, you know, taking that at face value, you'd say, oh, okay so the romans are mature they really didn't need this instruction they're ready to teach others they they've got this down he's just sort of you know trying to encourage them a bit but what st john chrysostom says is no this is in the part of paul's th- this is in a part of paul's letter that is devoted to encouragement he's trying to say nice things to them here we can't take this at face value they were in fact in need of much instruction um But he recognizes the structure of what's being written and that those words from chapter 15 near the end of the letter are written in sort of an encouraging and inspirational mode of expressing himself rather than, you know, sort of nitty gritty body of the letter. And so you don't take it at face value, you take it as meant to encourage, not as a literal final statement of fact. Um, the, the one other thing I would comment on this Hellenistic letter format I'm wondering, yeah, um, is the Apostle Paul has his own take on the greeting um, because what Jeannie Constantinus said and I, I found some other sources that say very much the same thing is that The typical way of completing the obligation to write a greeting in the letter was to say the word greetings. Um, And uh, in Greek, this is, of course, I don't know Greek, but she says it is a word pronounced something like here. and the Apostle Paul does not do this. He does not use this word, but he engages in almost a wordplay here using a word that sounds and looks quite similar, charis, which means grace. And in fact, this almost works in English, right where you're expecting someone to say greetings, he works into grace. Um, and then he follows it up with and peace, which is, of course, how the Jews would greet one another, Shalom. And so when he begins his letter, his, his, when he makes his greeting, Grace and Peace, he is playing on the conventional greeting to greet people both, you know, with something that sounds Greek, but it you know conveys the love and fullness of God and his grace, and Shalom, conveying to the Jews the, the typical reading that also conveys something of all of God's goodness and love wished for the the recipient. I thought that was lovely.
0: It helps knowing Greek, doesn't it? (laughs) Yes.
1: (laughs) Um, So in any case, um, that sort of covers... I think everything i was hoping to say in terms of introduction but i really hope not to be the one who was doing almost all the talking so i'd love to hear anything anyone else would like to say let me go ahead and unshare my screen
0: i think we are off to a good start with trying to give us without overly you know somebody might say wow that's a lot of info like if you want some context, we could, there's a, there's libraries full of stuff that we could go over in regards to Paul and his Greco-Roman context, his Second Temple Jewish, you know, the fact that he was taught as a rabbi, I mean, all this stuff, um, but it helps. And it's something that I think is a place to start is actually dealing with the text that's in front of you and being able to, like we were just talking about, getting an idea of what the text is talking about, wrapping your mind around what the, the basic arguments of the text, um, and then being able, once you can see what's going on, to then come back to the places that are helpful, encouraging, etc. Like what he says at the very beginning of the argument, Chrysostom, As I keep hearing the epistles of the blessed Paul read and that twice every week and often three or four times, whenever we are celebrating the memorials of the holy martyrs, that's interesting, in the context of remembering the martyrs they're reading Romans. Gladly do I enjoy the spiritual trumpet and get roused and warmed with a desire at recognizing the voice so dear to me, and seem to fancy him all but present to my sight and behold him conversing with me. But I grieve and am pained that all people do not know this man as much as they ought to know him but some are far ignorant of him as not even to know for certainly the number of his epistles. We got to become familiar with Paul it, for the whole fountain of theology for the Orthodox church. If you don't get Paul down, you're going to struggle with Maximus, the confessor. <laughs> That's amen for the skies there. You're going to struggle with, Uh, Ignatius of Antioch, which we, when we did that class and how much he assumes Paul and works with Pauline language and all of it. Um, so again, I'm going to kick this back to the homily on Sunday. I don't know if you all heard it or not, uh, because of COVID stuff. But part of what I was talking about in illumination is knowledge and not being tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. And that means you got to study somewhat. It doesn't mean that you have to become an expert in late byzantine uh, tridology or you know what they thought about the trinity you know but it does mean knowing the basics knowing paul and what he was teaching uh is just part of being christian and i think we we really if we don't apply ourselves in some way to to knowing and understanding it's a great detriment to ourselves it doesn't actually allow us to actually repent fully. It doesn't allow us to actually see the fullness of the, as what Paul said um, to the elders um, at Ephesus, right? You guys can correct me or not, where he talks about how he gave them the whole counsel of God. Mm-hmm. If we're to miss out on Paul, we're sure you are missing out on a whole lot of the counsel of God because God chose Paul to say a lot of things and record it <laughs> and put it for us to read at memorials of our martyrs, et cetera. Even though that's not the uh, epistle reading tomorrow, Erica, for we aren't doing the martyrs tomorrow. Well, actually, the slain at uh, Sinai and Rathu, but we got James. So, next time, Reed, are we going to push into the first chapter?
1: Yes, my ambition is to cover the whole first chapter.
0: Woo! So, you know, obviously we're going to. You got to be ambitious. (laughs) <laughs> yeah that's what I, I was saying to folks I think it was Sunday I was like you might be 10, 20, 30,000 feet up in the air but it helps to get the lay of the ground so that you can to read it and work with it um, so what's what, it, it just so much of the I come back to Romans 1 often because there's a lot of theology there and a lot of our understanding of what it means for us Mm, idolatry mm, how to relate to the world etc natural law etc so erica do you have anything to add detract voice your concern
2: i can't think of anything
0: nothing we believe in nothing lebowski (laughs) (laughs) All right, well, if that's all for now, I'll stop the recording here, and then we will return next week to Romans 1. Sounds good. Thank you, Father
1: Daniel.